right, you got your list made, you checked it twice, you're all done, right? Not me. I need to start a list. <laughs> it is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. Oh, of course, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Help them do some great work and sign up to be an organ and tissue donor. Help some Hoosiers. Yeah, I'm, I'm in bad shape. I, uh, I love doing Indiana Outdoors. It's kind of my little fun place to come each week and visit with all the great folks and Hoosiers out there and all the great stations that carry it. But, man, I could use some help. I am drawing blanks, and uh, I think I missed the window to have things shipped. So I may have to be going back to the old school Ugh, going to the mall, doing stuff that I just hate. In the meantime, we're going to have some fun. We're going to a happy place, okay? And I am so thrilled to have Mark Damien Duda. He is the executive director of Responsive Management. And whenever Mark is on the phone, we usually try to preserve as much time as we possibly can with his insight and his wisdom. And they're just coming off of a national study, uh, scientific and all the folks and how they do these polling and getting all this survey information is fantastic to me. But a brand new study on hunting access and availability in our country. So we're going to kind of break this issue down and have an extended conversation with Mark Damien Duda uh, on what this means, because there's a lot of folks right now are going, yeah, I know, it is a problem, but what can we do about it, and what is being done about it, and what are the opinions that matter uh, with hunters across this country? That's why he's here. That's why we bring the big dogs in. Mark Damien Duda, he is on hold right now, I'm being told, so we're going to scurry, pay a few bills, and come back and visit with Mark Damien Duda, the Executive Director of Responsive Management in this brand new study. So don't go anywhere. It's the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, back right after this. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. You've got eight days left. I don't know, however many days it is, until Christmas. And I am woefully behind. I'm in that mad dash, but it is the Indiana Outdoor Show. We are so thrilled to be here. Hopefully you've got a little more advanced start than I have. But it is the holiday season, and Indiana Outdoors rolls on. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives. And number two, you can sign up to be that organ and tissue donor now when you buy your hunting and fishing license. It couldn't be any easier. Let's help some folks on that transplant list. As mentioned, it's been uh, a, a little bit here since we've been trying to connect with Mark Damien Duda, who is uh, responsible, responsive management and a regular guest here on Indiana Outdoors. And Mark, it's great to visit with you and happy holidays. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, and thanks for being patient while our schedules met. Hey, you know what? When you're saying that I can't because I'm going to be in a tree stand, or I can't because I'm going to be doing <laughs> something else, you got every excuse, and you've got a, that's the perfect pass for me. That's you speaking my language. I love it. The, the good news is, is, is my friends and clients can relate. My other people who don't hunt or fish kind of are like you're doing what. 
Yeah, I get it. Well, I know you've uh, you've had some trips this fall. We'll get to that, and I know you're going to do some other stuff uh, coming up in the spring. But the reason of the call is an important one, an important topic, and you at Responsive Management have just released a nationwide study in conjunction with what I understand the National Shooting Sports Foundation to really take a look at this all-important issue of access is whatever generic term you want to call it or availability of hunting and shooting in the United States. And this is a, a national study that was conducted and you might just talk about what responsive management does in general, a little bit about yourself, and then talk about this study and why assessing the quality and availability of hunting and shooting in the United States is such an important topic. Sure. Good. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. Um, My name is Mark Damien Data. I'm the Executive Director of Responsive Management. And starting in January, I'll be able to say that I've been doing this for 33 years. Well, you watched a video. You know know how to do it now. You watched a video. You're good. That's right. 30, 33 years of running a business, um, started out as a, as a wildlife biologist and went back to school to be a social scientist and policy and law and, and all of the people side of conservation. So for 33 years now, we've been doing work for every state fish and wildlife agency, the Fish and Wildlife Service, all the NGOs, Ducks Unlimited, uh, NRA, National Shooting Sports Foundation. But we do the people side of conservation. So we do a lot of survey research focus groups, economic analyses, wherever people and wildlife interface, we get involved. Well, you certainly have developed a nationwide reputation for quality and excellence in the work that comes out of responsive management is best in class. This being the most recent, and as mentioned, probably one of the most dominant conversation topics at at some point uh, in your hunting camps and in your conversations throughout the year, especially now that the seasons might be winding down and you're taking a look at what took place this year and your season and who you were hunting with, where you were hunting with, now is a good time to be thinking about, well, how do I get access? Where is my next destination if you need to do that? But let's talk in general what what this study was all about and maybe some of the points that that came through and as usual in your conversation with Indian Outdoors plenty of time so kind of take us from the beginning and why why is this topic so dominating in the hunting circles it's a great question and it's an easy answer um access is everything if you can't get to a place that you want to hunt if there's not a place where you want to hunt, nothing else matters. Your new gun doesn't matter. Your skill doesn't matter. The amount of animals doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. So in my opinion, access is everything. And what was really interesting about this study is that it's a trend study. Um, we were able to do this study um, actually in 2010 um, under a grant from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They're called multi-state conservation grants. And then um, a couple of years ago, they gave us another grant to repeat it to see what's happened. Because you hear access is getting harder. You hear stories, but stories are one thing and quantitative information is another. Well, it turns out certainly that those um, anecdotal types of comments from people and hunters, access is getting harder, is absolutely true. We saw an increase of probably about 17 percentage points 
um, you know, from about 40 to almost 50, almost 60 percent of hunters saying access is, is, a, is a very real problem to me. And half the hunters out there are saying that it influences everything else that they do. So, um, again, every, nothing else matters with hunting unless you have access. That's a fairly um, high. That's a fairly uh, top line bullet point there. That's fairly aggressive, but yet so true, and borne out as you said through this analysis. Now looking back historically, but keep going. Yep. And well, one of the things that when you start thinking about access is that, and you start talking to people, is everybody has a different definition of access. Exactly. And what we when we talk about how to communicate and and. Um, educating people is that it, it's sort of this comment that it's not what you say, it's what people hear. Not what you say, it's what people hear. And so when somebody says access, you might hear one thing, another person might hear another. But when you start looking at it sort of from a, a scientific modeling standpoint, if you will, um, there's really what we identified as five different aspects of access. And when I did this, I probably shouldn't have named this, these alliterations, you know, all of these A's. But, but let's go through those if, if you have time, because I think they're Absolutely. So there's, there's really sort of two big pictures of access. One is the physical aspects, you know, just the, the real world types of things. And then there's the social, the psychological, what's in your brain kind of aspects. So under the physical, what we did is we said, well, you know, there's three different parts. There's, and I'll go through them, but availability. Is, is there actually land available? That's, that's what we usually think about. But then there's that second part, which is accessibility. Can you get to it? But it doesn't do you any good if it's landlocked. There's so many lands out west that are really good hunting lands, but they're surrounded by housing developments or by private land, and you can't even get to them. It doesn't do you any good. So you have availability. You have access to just get to the land. And then you have something that I termed accommodation. And that's once you get there, can you get around? Um, are there trails? Are they well marked? Are, they, are, there, are there roads into it? Um, are the roads good? Are they bad? So, again, there's, there's sort of you start picking this apart, and you've got three different sort of physical aspects, the availability, accessibility, and accommodation. And then you've got what's in your brain. Those social aspects, the psychological aspects. One is awareness. Do, are, do you even know that it exists? Is it that we, I talk to hunters sometimes. They're like, did you know there's land over here? You know, Mark, you want a spring turkey hunt? I'm like, no, I didn't even know that. And I should be hooked into this. Um, and then, so there's that awareness is, is how much information we have. And we've actually done studies years ago um, with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation where we interviewed hunters who didn't even know land. This one, one of the studies was in Colorado where there was really good land available and they didn't even know about it. So um, there's that awareness part. And then the second part of that is, is assumptions. And that is, is, is it's what we think we know. And a lot of times that isn't right either. So it can be an informational thing. So sort of in a nutshell, there's, there's, it, it, it can get complex. And I don't mean for it to get complex, but if we're really going to address what the issues are to enhance access for hunters, we need to sort of address all of those. And we're working with the agencies to do that very thing, as well as all the NGOs to 
we're going to talk about access. Let's talk about each of these so we make sure that we don't have lands there that people don't know about or that they can get in or all of the other things that they can do um, to get to these places. Mark Damien Duda, Executive Director of Responsive Management, a regular here on Indian Outdoors. We're talking about, and he just boiled it down into some extraordinarily simple points for everybody to understand, which is helpful to me, about the issue of accessing and the availability of, of hunting and shooting availability in this country and you have been the beneficiary of looking at this issue in the past so you have some some historical data to do some comparison but you broke it down and i took some notes and i'm going to be able to read my own handwriting here but you talked about the physical side of whatever access might mean availability accessibility and accommodation you know the the rise of of you know, every state agency is trying to find more opportunities for hunters to be able to access, whether it's boat ramps for fishing or it's public access for bird hunting or, or, or migratory bird hunting or deer hunting or other big game. And then the accessibility, I think, is uh, very important. Because, and, and also the accommodation for me, you know, there's not every space that could be available. I'm not physically able to be to do that i got a bad knee and a bad hip so if i'm humping it up and down elevation or steep grades or other things that's going to limit my opportunity even if the accessibility was there so you bring it down to some very good points and i, I wanted to hover here just for a second on the social and the psychological aspects of of access because so many so much money is being spent on these r3 programs the recruitment retention and reactivation programs that these state agencies are putting into place and they're spending an awful lot of time and money and now and i guess evangelization if you will about the awareness of opportunities do you think this is getting better I mean, do you are, are these r3 programs working in these states from you're talking to these different Fish and Wildlife Agencies? They are. They are. Um, one of the things that we're doing really well now that we weren't when I first started 30, almost 40 years ago, um, is just in, in the level of sophistication that we have. Um, there's more research being done. There's some really good campaigns being done. One of the main recommendations that we've had with this study is to sort of marry the whole divisions in within fish and wildlife agencies of access with R3. In fact, I spoke on this project um, at, a, at a big symposium. They had to ask me to speak at the opening session at an R3 conference um, this past year. And, um, and I said, look, you know, access is R3. And so sometimes people think of R3 as being communications, advertising, getting to new hunters and new shooters. But if you don't have access, it doesn't mean anything. And one of the more interesting points on this is among the hunters who had the most problems with access are those very people that we're trying to bring into the fold, women, um, people of color, um, younger individuals. I mean, us, you know, sort of old guys who have a good network of people, you know, sometimes access isn't that hard. You call a friend, hey, I want to go turkey hunting, I want to go deer hunting, I want to do this. Oh, yeah, Mark, you should talk to this guy, you should talk to this guy. Um, but what if you don't have any of those connections? What if you live in an urban area? How in the world do you get started? Take up just a, a regular person. Um, heck, take up an African-American male and, you know, not highly represented within the hunting community. 
he's like, hey, Mark, I want to go. And we get him. And he's like, he, and he comes with us. He loves it. And then I'm out you know, in Europe or something, but he still wants to go hunting next fall. What does he do? How does he? He's, he's never done that. He he's lives in, in Washington, D.C. And where does he go in the Shenandoah Valley? I mean, I would certainly take him and talk to him, but but it's hard. How about a woman? I mean, think how hard it would be. Think how easy it is for maybe you or me to walk up to a farmhouse or something and say, hey, can we hunt your land next week or whatever? Um, a female doing that? So the very people, you're, you're, you're sort of marrying the star three, which is a great point, because, again, it, it, the, the, the traditional white rural male has much easier time understanding access than these very new people that we want to get in, the, the non-traditional people. And, and we, you know, if hunting is to grow, if we're to maintain numbers, support, I mean, we have to figure out a way how to get access um, with all of these variables into these, these new people who we want into the fold. Mark Damien Duda, our guest, as always, it's our privilege to have him be a part of Indiana Outdoors today, talking about accessibility to hunting and shooting opportunities. When we come back, I want you to think about something because we've talked about R3, we've talked about the state agencies, you communicate with them a lot. But despite a lot of these problems, one of the things that I read in your report, hunters don't generally blame the agencies for this. And I want to hover on that when we come back. Can you stay with us for a segment? Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. It is the Indian Outdoor Show. What a great conversation to kick off this Indian Outdoors. We're going to continue with Mark Damien Duda, the Executive Director of Responsive Management. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, and I am your host. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue right after this. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. We are continuing as just having too much fun here before Christmas. What a nice distraction to be able to talk about one of my favorite things, hunting and fishing and all the great things in the Indiana Outdoors. I am your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Mark Damian Duda, the executive director of Responsive Management, is our guest. And you were, did such a great job giving the high-level oversights of the alliterative A's, as you said, the five of them, regarding this new study that you guys worked in conjunction with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. We've talked about a lot of buzzwords, R3. We've talked about the under-accessed folks and what do they do and then one of the things that i thought that was interesting even though we already have said that access is getting somewhat worse based on your historical perspective is that despite that generally aren't necessarily blaming the agencies for that why do you think that is and i'm not saying that they deserve fault at all but i do find it's interesting uh that observation from your major study Absolutely. Um, well, hunters are smart, and they see things firsthand. And so with these issues, let's say you had a favorite hunting spot, and you go back a couple of years later, you're working, so you don't go one year, a couple of years later, and there's a shopping center there. How is that the agency's fault? If you go out and your Onyx shows that, there's a great hunting area, and that yet it's surrounded by a housing development. How's the agency responsible for that? 
if you go in and you're walking down a road and somebody's put up a fence because their land borders your favorite hunting area, how is the agency responsible for that? So the agencies do a really good job. They understand this issue. I mean, they're the ones who funded this study. <laughs> so they, they know what's going on. Um, and, you know, again, historically, you see um, hunters. I mean, hunters are the source of funding for, for a lot of these agencies, sometimes the sole source of funding for the agencies. So they do get it in terms of access. Now, do they complain? Yeah. Do they call the director? Yeah. Do they call commissioners? Yeah. But when you look at things from a true scientific standpoint, you know, you're talking only a, a small, usually single digit, you know, five, seven, eight percent of people who get really down on the agencies. The issue is that those are the people that they hear from. People always hear from the, the negative people. So sometimes it's assumed, you know, outsiders will say, oh, it's the agency's fault. They're not doing this or not doing that. But we're, we're just we're not seeing that. We're seeing we're seeing it. We're seeing it from a segment of people. And sometimes when I lecture and I go to an agency and I, you know, and we see this, you know, a little number of, you know, the agencies at fault or they're very dissatisfied, I'll point to it and it'll be three or 4%. And I'll say, and these are the people who have the director on their speed dial because they hear from those people. But, um, but, but generally hunters understand what's going on. They're frustrated. They're frustrated at these issues and they know their issues. But um, they're not blaming the agency because in a lot right. of cases, there's just how do you do it? Again, of course, there are examples of that. We we just did a big study in Pennsylvania on when the opening day of deer season should it be. Should it be the Saturday after Thanksgiving or the Monday after Thanksgiving? And so, you know, I, I get love letters from a couple hunters here and there who are, you know, mad at me for doing the survey research and just showing, you know, what the majority of hunters wanted. So, of course, there's people out there that are dissatisfied. Well, hunting is a religion. You know, just ask the 250,000, a quarter million people that buy deer licenses in the state (laughs) of Indiana and ask them their opinion, and they've all got one, and it's usually not the same. Yep. So, you you asked, well, how do these people do this? You know, and the young people. I knew when I was in my 20s, I uh, I made it a, a distinct point to get involved with various organizations, Ducks Unlimited, the National Wild Turkey Federation, going to those banquets, finding people that, you know, you observe and you watch, you read a room, and the next thing you know, you make a few acquaintances and good old-fashioned word of mouth. And I found that to be exceedingly beneficial to me, not only as a young person, but now not a young person. And those people have become my friends, lifelong friends. But technology has changed so much from when that I'm not ever going to replace word of mouth, but technology and access, uh, letting people know immediately real time in their hands, who owns this piece of property that you might be driving by, how to reach them in many cases, uh, the availability of these directories on uh, the state fish and wildlife about access. The We didn't have that. I mean, we didn't have phone capacity uh, with all these apps when we were growing up. So word of mouth was the best way to do it. But I'm interested in your commentary on the rise of technology and accessibility. Great. I mean, I mean, there's two things. There's the, you know, what you call the good old fashioned, and it's still the best way. Um, It's important for people who have been hunting for a long time to mentor people. Um, again, hunting is fighting. Hunting participation overall is, is 
fighting a lot of issues, demographic changes, urbanization, the population getting older. And there's a lot of big picture forces that are pressuring hunting numbers. Um, you see numbers go down. We saw them jump up a little bit during 2020 during COVID. But the long-term trend is, is a general downward trend. Um, and, and that's not good for a lot of reasons. And so, so, you know, us older people need to mentor people. The whole idea of what we call social support is incredibly important. In fact, when we look at these R3 programs, um, for new people like Becoming an Outdoors Woman, Woman in the Outdoors, um, those types of programs, one of our major recommendations is, look, if you've got 10 people, 10 women, or 10 of these folks, or 10 of these folks, make sure they all have each other's emails or text numbers or get them set them up on some type of social media site together because that information as a group is incredibly important so there's that good old-fashioned but there's also new new things as well in terms of social support that we can use you know everything from twitter and facebook and setting up some of those accounts with just those people the world doesn't need to know but just just those 10 or 15 people are incredibly important so so i will say that like you you identified there are the old-fashioned ways and the new-fashioned ways the old-fashioned ways are still really important and the new-fashioned ways are means to an end the end being the old-fashioned ways if that, if uh, that make, logic makes You know what? That makes so much sense. I hate to do it, but can we hold you through to another break here and then uh, round it out? Because I know you got some other things, and I have some other points that we'd like to talk about as well. Can you stick with us? Absolutely. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. We're visiting with Mark Damien Duda, the Executive Director of Responsive Management. And it is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. It's one of my favorite conversations. Whenever we have them on the phone, so we're going to get right back to it when we return right after this. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. What a beautiful mid-December. In that final run, we're having a great conversation talking about an important issue of access to hunting and shooting sports opportunities. Mark Damian Duda is our guest, the executive director of Responsive Management. And Mark, it's truly our privilege to have you as one of the nation's foremost experts, combining all that three decades plus worth of, of work and research at Responsive Management. I was glad to see, just anecdotally, the top hunting programs amongst the 102 that you evaluated that Indiana Youth Hunting Days was on that list, and we're very proud of that. As you and I have talked, I'm chairman of our Natural Resources Commission here in the state, and youth and R3, we finally have a, a permanent R3 person that's been kind of a revolving door, and she's fantastic, and the the awareness by the department of providing different opportunities, whether it's apprentice licenses or youth hunting days, try it before you buy it, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do, taking those young people out is important, but I was glad to see them on the list. Well, you should be proud because we looked at, as you said, we looked at over a hundred different programs. Um, we looked at the awareness that hunters had, and we looked at it on a state-by-state -state basis. We combined them on a percentage basis, but we looked at these um, in a very specific state-by-state -state manner. So people in Florida weren't rating Indiana programs or anything like that. We had 
Florida hunters rating their Florida programs, their awareness of them, if they participated in them. And so we are able to rate them side by side in terms of percentages that were aware of them, percentages that participated, percentages of the hunters that rated the different programs. So they were doing it on a state-by-state basis, which I think has a lot more validity. And you're absolutely right. From a rating standpoint, and, you know, it was the um, Indiana Youth Hunting Days. Now, people might say, well, what does that have to do with access? But we broke down access in those very issues of what are important programs for youth, what are important programs for adults. So we had a lot of different categories. But um, so so the uh, youth hunting days in Indiana was the highest rated among those hunters in Indiana when you compared their ratings to all these other access programs for beginning hunters. So. I wish I could tell you what you're doing right, but at this point I can't. But I can tell you you're doing something right because everybody likes it. Well, um, I like to th- I like to think that uh, there's a lot of general goodwill for that program and many others, as I am a big fan of our Department of Natural Resources. Yeah, and again, you should be because they're they're on a nationwide basis. They're they're at the top of the line. Um, one of the other programs that comes out is is I guess south of you, which is Kansas. And the Kansas's walk-in program, again, for whatever reason, we're going to start looking into this. They have a Kansas walk-in hunting access program that that people love. Um, Massachusetts, for some reason, came up their wildlife management areas and the access that they're they're doing there. So there's some. So so this study brought it to a point that I guess the reason I've been doing the same thing for 33 years is you find out some things and then you can move on to something else. <laughs> you know, we're doing a, a really cool study on women's in R3 right now with with Christine Thomas, who you might know from the University of Wisconsin, who started the um, Becoming an Outdoors Woman program. We're doing some studies on hunting avidity and why hunters don't buy licenses every you know every year out of a five year period, and you learn things. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We just learn more. There's the whole cliche of, well, there's more, you know, there's more questions than answers. And that's true. But as a community, certainly not just us, but as a community, we're starting to get pretty good in terms of what we know about hunting and hunting participation. I mean, it took us, you know, how long? 70 years to to, to know everything there's to know about white-tailed deer or Canada geese or buffleheads or wood ducks or whatever it is. So we're just starting the whole human dimensions part, not just starting people right. been around for 30, 40 years. But it takes time to build up the body of knowledge in terms of what's happening. And slowly but surely, we're doing that as a community. Mark, in the short time we have left, what are some things, what is another point that I haven't asked about that you want to make sure people are aware of? I think I think you covered a lot of them. I think the most important thing we covered is to have us think about access differently from in terms of your listeners. And I get emails from your listeners when we get my email and they ask about this and ask about that. Is that people want to know about specifically what they can do? And I would say what people can do is to um, is to is to mentor people. Mentoring is not easy. Men- mentoring is hard. It's giving your time. It's, it's stressful. But to me, the most important thing that people can do is start sharing some of those experiences with people who normally might not join the hunting ranks. I mean, I, you know, I'm assuming you had mentors. I mean, I've had amazing mentors to help me. I grew up in a, in, in Washington D.C. in a non-hunting family. I had no. We we didn't have firearms. I had no idea. I want to go interact with wildlife. I want to go hunting. I want to go fishing. How do I do it? 
And I had some amazing people really sort of take me along through the entire process. And I think that's something that we have, we've all been lucky. And I would guarantee most of your listeners have had that. And I say, as we get older, return that, return that gift to Pay the new generation. And when you're long gone, you know, in 20 or not, um, when you're long gone in 20 years, wait a minute, Mark, I'll be here. You know, when we're gone in 50 years, you know, that kid is still going to be around and talking about Uncle, Le- you know, Uncle Buck or my friend. Peter, who helped me, or this guy, or that guy. So, you know, um, I, I found I too was fortunate in that my uh, my dad he was he was disabled to a point where by the time I became a young enough man, he was his mobility had been limited. But we did the best we could. But the people that were around him, I wanted to be with. And all I had to do was ask. Sometimes you have to ask a lot because I'm guilty of this. When someone says, man, I'd really like to try that sometime, you say, yeah, we'll go out and do that. Well, how many people actually follow through? I am guilty along with so many others. My heart is there, but like you said, sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. It can be a a pain in the backside. I need to be less self-consumed and selfish, but I think that can go for a lot of hunters. Mark, it's great to visit with you as always. And... In the, I know that you've got some. You're going to be pursuing the uh, the grand slam for turkeys in the spring. Where are you going to be going, real quick? I am. I am. Of course, since I live in Virginia, I've gotten eastern turkeys um, last spring. Well, no, I guess it's this spring. It's still 2022. I was able to get a phenomenal Rio in Kansas, and so now I'm going to be going down to Florida for an Osceola. And then um, finally to uh, New Mexico for Merriam's. Again, I'm expecting, I want to get one, but expectations are everything. So right. I'm just going to enjoy the moment and enjoy the Everglades. I'm going to enjoy, enjoy New Mexico. So, so the only um, way to do it is I've gotten older. It's the, it's, the, it's the party. It's the uh, socialization that I enjoy so much more so than almost the hunting these days. But as always, Mark, it's great to have you be a part of Indiana Outdoors. Appreciate all the great work that you do at Responsive Management. If people want to reach out to you and learn more about this, where can they find you? Well, it's a long email, but it's easy. It's mark at responsivemanagement.com, and responsive management is all spelled out. So it's, all right. it's sort of a spell. You can get through me if you can spell responsive management. Mark, it's great to visit with you as always. Merry Christmas to you and all your staff. We look forward to talking to you after the new year. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Love talking to our friends at Responsive Management. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. We're going to be back right after this. flies man oh man where's this year gone no i just have so much to do before the end of the year i'm whining again it is the indiana outdoor show and what a great what a great respite uh to be able to bring you this great conversation we had with mark damian duda he's truly just a great guy and i literally could spend hours asking him questions because i learned so much his knowledge and depth of of knowledge is fantastic on so many different issues works with so many different state agencies national agencies and you heard him say all the 
NGOs, the Ducks Unlimited, those guys, NWTFs, he's done it all. And fantastic study. And he gave, I would just Google responsive management if you want to learn more and maybe get a copy of this study. Very responsive. Huh, see what I did there? And I didn't even mean to do it. Responsive management is very responsive. If you want to get access to this report, lots of bar charts and graphs and what he does so well is he breaks it down into things that I can understand. <laughs> and when it comes right down to it, that that takes a lot of work. Uh, folks, at this time of the year, I do, we jest about all the things that get in our way, but do remember the reason for this season. And, and I need to remind myself at times just to relax. It's all going to get done. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Of course, we'll be here next weekend, Christmas Eve. Uh, morning, and hopefully you will be a part of it. It is that time of the year. A lot of folks still out in field and forest. Remember, turn in a poacher, 1-800-TIP-IDNR. It's a free call. Let the conservation officers do their work. Folks, Merry Christmas, and I will see you and be chatting next week. Be safe. I will see you in the great Indiana outdoors somewhere. Have a great rest of your week. See you outside, everybody. Mm-hmm.